Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the news stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the show. I'm Julia Hartley Brewer and you are with Talk TV. Now, there is a question today about the BBC. We're asking you to get in touch about uh, the BBC wanted to raise the licence fee by £15 a year to £173.30. We're trying to work out what is that last? 30 pence get spent on. I want to know your reaction. Give us a call on 0344-499-1000. You can text on 8722 or you can get in touch on X at Talk TV. Calls are charged at the national rate. Text cost one standard network rate message. Still with me in the studio right now is commentator Sam Armstrong. Thank you very much for joining us all this morning and this afternoon. Um, before we go to our next guest, and I'd want to talk about what Keir Starmer has been saying and indeed what Rishi Sunak has been saying uh, uh, over the last couple of days. We must talk about migrants. Um, breaking news in in the last hour or so, that uh, the well, it's, it's a Rishi Sunak pe- package, obviously he's prime minister, but it's going to be announced by the foreign, the, apologies, Home Secretary, difficult to keep up these days, uh, James Cleverly, when he was foreign secretary, very popular, Home Secretary, not so much, plummeted in the polls of a Tory party members, but he'll be hoping to get some back with a major new package of measures to slash net migration. And indeed, they'll need to do that because we had more than 500 people arriving on those boats from over the channel in, on Saturday alone. I mean, quite absurd numbers. Um, this, though, is about legal migrants. There's also been a big fuss about this when we realised that net migration hit net, by the way, net. So the number of people left here after other people have left of 745 1,000 people in the whole calendar year of 2022, well over 600,000 uh, in the six months, sorry, in the 12 months to the middle of 2023. So it's maybe going down a bit, but not by much. Now, big call for the government to do something about net migration, the legal kind, the visas they give out, working visas, student visas, people had to extend and stay on their visas. Apparently, the Prime Minister is bound to pressure from backbenchers and from his cabinet to raise the minimum salary threshold. It has been around the £26,000 mark, well below, well below average income, raising it to possibly £38,000. That's above, a few grand above the current median salary. Uh, that's what's been proposed by the Immigration Minister, Robert Jenry. Uh, also, a limit on the number of dependents uh, that care workers and other low-paid workers and others can bring. Um, this will all be welcomed, surely, but will it be enough? Well, it's quite a bold package of measures, possibly bolder than people expected. But just while I've been sat here, I've uh, been uh, got in touch with by some uh, immigration experts, and they tell me that the effect will be about 300,000 reduction. And here's the problem. 672,000 minus 300,000, 
372,000 extra people. It's in not the, the tens of thousands. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've, only, I've only got O level in maths, but that's not in the tens of thousands, And it's is not it? the 227,000 the Conservatives promised in the last election, which means... Does anyone remember that number? Once again, the Conservatives are going into an election having broken a promise on migration, an issue that matters enormously yeah. to the public. And if they can't get that right... Many people will be questioning, here's, what's the point? Here's the thing. You cut, you, you, you raise the, the, uh, the salary threshold so lots of people can't come into work. You know, unless you're having an extra separate list for people, for, for the, you know, certain areas of the economy where they are in need, like care workers, you're still going to be having those people coming in. Not necessarily. We have enough people in this country to perform all the jobs that we need. Now, it means do. two things. You may have to pay people more to do jobs. Shock, Good. horror. Good. Yeah. Care workers should get paid more. And secondly, we might need to train people to do jobs. Yep. We might not need to send people to bogus nonsense universities to do stupid oh, courses get and instead get, yeah. give them a trade, a profession, something that they can here, do. Here are the hands. jobs we need you to do. And you can only... You can only get um, a loan, a student loan, if you're actually going to study something useful uh, to the country. Let me also ask you, though, about you know where this goes, because this ties in. We know that Reform UK, Richard Tice is the leader, but, but Nigel Farage is not, is not the leader of the I'm a Celebrity Jungle lot. He's, uh, he is actually still honorary president of that party. He technically owns it. It's, a, it's actually a, a company, not a party, interestingly. Um, talk of him coming back. He was at a Tory party conference, welcomed like you know the, the the king from across the water by a lot of tory delegates uh back at the party conference for the conservatives you know from a member of another party he's been talking in this jungle about how look, he could maybe one day perhaps be leader of the tory party rishi sunak when asked about this at the weekend said that actually he felt that um you know that he would be welcomed in you know, the tory party as a broad church is it broad enough for nigel farage that's the question well, look, after the next election, presuming Rishi Sunak loses, there is going to be a soul-searching moment for the Conservative Party to pick a future. And many of them will want Nigel Farage in to come in, represent a new sort of more working class, more provincial form of conservatism. They might even give him some screen it, time. Here's the thing. Love Nigel. Consider him a friend. Love a lot of the stuff that he says. Love what he stands for. Uh, talking the talk. Love him for helping to deliver Brexit. I do wonder, though, I once asked him if he were Prime Minister. Remember when they you know, his various parties won European elections. I said, look, what if this did re get replicated under first past the post? If you actually became Prime Minister, what's the first thing you'd do? Do you know what you told me? I can imagine it's privatise the NHS. No, it was go to the pub. Is that right? No, and that's the thing. And that's the thing. So, uh, you know, does he actually want to be Prime Minister? Does he want to stir things up? Does he, you have to, is he someone that actually his role is to kind of push the Tories to be a sensible party, drag everybody back to the... Well, again, people say it's to the extreme right. It's not. It's the middle ground. Not wanting, not wanting massive immig uncontrolled immigration is not an extremist point of view. It's mainstream opinion in this country. I will say this about Farage, though. On economics, he's probably to the right of where new Tory voters are. They're yeah. a bit more left economically, but, but right on social issues. And that could well be a future conflict that will work its way through. You work with a lot of Conservative MPs, a lot of whom I think will have a lot of time for what Nigel Farage does, and also we're very aware of the threat that his party poses to them. Do you, or yes or no, do you see Nigel Farage joining the Conservative Party, being allowed to join? Do you ever see him becoming a Tory party MP? Yes and yes. And Tory, Tory leader? No.
Okay, very interesting. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Um, got another 45 minutes of my show. I'm sure Kevin, uh, Alex would love to hear from you as well on that. Do get in touch. Uh, you can get in touch on the phone. It's 0344 You can text on um, 8722 and you can also get in touch on X at Talk TV. Love to hear your thoughts on all of that. Moving on. Well, let's talk about Keir Starmer, the Labour leader who hopes one day he will be Prime Minister. Possibly we're saying now as early as next May, if that's when the election is called. He's facing a bit of a backlash from Labour supporters this weekend after praising Margaret Thatcher. The Labour leader said the Tory Prime Minister had a driving sense of purpose that brought about meaningful change. Changes tune an awful lot from lots of times when he's criticised her in the past, standing by the miners and all of that. Well, joining me now to discuss this is co-founder of Navarra Media and author of Fully Automated Luxury Communism, Aaron Bastani. Uh, good afternoon to you, Aaron. Hi, Julia. Thanks for joining us. First of all, what did you make of, of Keir Starmer writing this article for Telegraph praising Margaret Thatcher? Who was this aimed at? It's intriguing, isn't it? Obviously, it's in the Telegraph. It's an op-ed over the weekend. So presumably it's aimed at wavering Tory voters who've just had enough of Rishi Sunak and he's thinking he can just get them over the edge, one final heave, and they'll vi uh, vote Labour in, uh, in May probably. Uh, next year. I think it's a strange one because I think that well of people is exhausted. Most Tory voters, of course, aren't going to Labour. They're just generally not turning out at all. Some are going to reform, perhaps, but generally speaking, they're simply not looking to turn out in the next general election. Very yeah. few are actually going to Labour. That's fine for Labour. You can win a massive majority off the back of that. Uh, but it seems a strange strategy. Uh, I've spoken to a few individuals and for Labour candidates or MPs in, in Labour Tory marginals, yes, it makes a little bit of sense. Uh, but for those people who are in Labour Lib Dem marginals, which will be quite a few seats actually in the next election, if the scale of sort of Tory collapse is uh, being reflected in the polls we see at the moment, this really doesn't help them. This really doesn't help them. Uh, and so it's an interesting one. I think some MPs, some candidates will be perfectly happy at this. Others are, are literally tearing their hair up. Well, he's not the first Labour leader to actually praise Margaret Thatcher. I mean, it's, it's, it's required for the Conservative leadership to do that, obviously, isn't it? But he's not the first. I mean, you, know, you, you think back, you know, Tony Blair um, or, and Gordon Brown, all that time in office that they spent, neither of them ever undid any of the things that she did that they would have been massively critical of, uh, you know, in her time in office. And a lot of people, I have to say, look, you know, a lot of people think they know what my politics are. I, I, I was not a fan of Margaret Thatcher at the time. The first time I cast a vote, 1987 election, my, I lived in Margaret Thatcher's then Finchley seat and I, and I voted against her. Um, but I have to say, as I grow older, I'm wiser, I'd like to think, um, rather more aware of the brilliant things that she did do. But, you know, there were people who lost out under Margaret Thatcher. Um, and there was the view like mass unemployment and things that her view was, you know, it was a cost worth bearing. Of course, she wasn't bearing that cost. Now, this is what's interesting when it comes to what Keir Starmer premiership would look like if he does win the next election. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Whenever it is. He's done a speech this morning to the Resolution Foundation, the left-wing think tank, basically saying, look, Labour isn't going to turn the spending taps on after the next election. And that's going to be a bit of an issue, isn't it? Because there'll be an awful lot of, you know, public sector unions, other trade unions, public sector workers, um, many, many people who are voting Labour, people on benefits, people, many people relying on Labour and saying, look, last time you were in office, the spending taps were on, awful lot of money spent on, you know, investing in buildings, but also a lot of money spent in, you know, just, you know, put everyone on working tax credits, housing benefit here. There isn't any money left. They won't be able to borrow a load of money Liz Truss tried that. It didn't work out so well. It's going to be a bit of a sort of cold shock for an awful lot of Labour voters when Labour come into power and suddenly those spending taps stay very, very tightly on. I think that's right. And I think, frankly, we need to come to grips with the fact that we've not had a growth model in this country, a, a real growth model. You know, the Tories love to talk about, oh, the economy is growing. Actually, on a per-person basis, it's not. If you have, as you just spoke about a few moments ago, high net migration, more people in the economy buying and selling things, working, then of course GDP goes up. But productivity, which is output per person, has basically been stagnant for 16 years. Now, Labour, as you've hinted at there, between 97 and 2010, had an economic model which built on uh, the success of the city, spiralling house price rises, financialization. And of course, that all came collapsing down in 2008. And the big problem for Keir Starmer wasn't there for Gordon Brown and Tony Blair. When Blair and Brown came in in 1997, fundamentals of not just the UK economy, but the global economy yeah. were very good. Yeah. People rarely mention this. Kenneth Clark ran multiple surpluses. There was high growth when they came into office, which meant they could give lots of goodies to people. Yeah. They, they still had the, the they still had the North Sea oil revenues. I mean, you know, which was given. I mean, over you know quite a long period of time under Thatcher as well as under Blair, giveaways. There was just money to go round. There was uh, because of that growth, you had high tax receipts, and that meant you could invest in things like the NHS. That simply isn't happening this time round, and. There's an interesting anecdote for me, Julia. In 1996, Gordon Brown spoke to the Confederation of British Industry. He made up a story, basically, about how business was in his blood uh, because his mum was the company director. Apparently, it was just complete you know, nonsense. She was, a, she was a director for a local family firm, yeah. and she stopped doing it three years before he was even born. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're seeing a similar story right now with Keir Starmer saying that Margaret Thatcher unleashed natural entrepreneurialism. Well, if it was so natural, why have you been a lawyer all your life? If it's so natural, how can one person in Labour's shadow cabinet have started a business? It could be that natural for your party. Uh, so I, I, I feel like at the moment from Keir Starmer, you're seeing almost a, a cosplay, uh, LARPing it's called, um, uh, adoration of, of capitalism. He's a Walter Mitty capitalist. Well, no, no, uh, and look, that's but, fine in opposition. When you're governing, it's not so good. This is the thing. He's clearly said... Aaron Bastani's of this world on the left, the Corbynistas, I don't need you. 
you're not only not, not going to be needed to help me get elected, you might harm me getting elected because there's an awful lot of people who can go back and... Well, I, th I, think, I do think sometimes politicians forget that we do actually have things on the internet. We can see what they said in speeches and what they wrote uh, previously, but we know what he said and what he wrote in, in all those interviews and in those speeches before he became Labour leader. Very different from the... Th I mean, the idea he'd have been elected leader if he said, Thatcher, great entrepreneurial spirit. Not a mm -hmm. chance. OK, so he very much was on the left then. Now we're told, no, no, he's basically Tony Blair writ large in a cuddly jumper. Again, I don't know anyone who believes any of that. I think he's far more to the left than, than, he, than he says he is. But he ain't as far left as you. He's decided, you and your ilk, you're no use to him. You're stopping him reaching those moderate Tory, you know, so Labour voters who went over for Brexit, went over to the Tories. But do you think he's actually going to appeal to any of them? Will they trust him? Because given the, most of those people voted, and I know a lot of those people, they voted Tory for the first time for Boris. They wanted to make sure there wasn't Jeremy Corbyn in office, but they also wanted to get Brexit done. Will they ever trust Keir Starmer on Brexit? It's fascinating, isn't it? Because you've got Labour regularly polling around 40, 45% in the polls, sometimes 20 points ahead of the Tories, sometimes more, but let's say 20 points ahead of the Tories. And yet Keir Starmer's personal approval ratings, and I'll be honest, of course, most politicians these days have very <laughs> low approval ratings. Yeah. He, he's got minus 20 that is new. The idea that somebody could be looking at a majority of 100 plus with very bad personal approval ratings is kind of unprecedented. And you mentioned Brexit. You know, he was missed to remain. Now he's saying the opportunities of Brexit have been missed. He says, I don't want a ceasefire in Gaza, but please, we want a humanitarian pause and, and please don't start uh, attacking one another again. Uh, he said he wants, wants HS2. In 2015, he said he didn't want HS2. Yeah. And again, it go, goes back to the point I made a moment ago, Julia. It's all very well and good um, being this contrarian in opposition. Actually, it can be very productive. It can win you lots of votes. Just ask the Liberal Democrats. You know, that's all they do. Yeah. But when you're in government, that's extraordinarily hard. And I do think in the course of a general election, he may struggle with a bit of a brand issue in terms yeah. of trust, who he is, what he believes in. Luckily for Keir Starmer, however, he's up against Rishi Sunak. Uh, otherwise, I think there's a very real possibility he could do a Theresa May in 2017, come repeatedly unstuck on the campaign trail. But Sunak isn't Boris Johnson. Sunak isn't even, you know, uh, David Cameron. Uh, so I, I think for all of his faults, I think the fact that those faults are far larger with Rishi yeah. Sunak means he should still be able to get into number yeah, 10. I mean, that's it. We've, we've got Mr Flip-Flop against Mr Flip-Flop, and the general view is people don't think that either of them believe in anything at all. That's exactly right. I mean, with Sunak, it's just extraordinary. I think the fact that Sunak's in office is perhaps taking uh, light away from Starmer's sort of proclivities on this. You know, Sunak, after the um, by-election at Uxbridge, was, you know, I'm now, you know, Mr Anti-Ulez... So he goes from, you know, a climate change chancellor to opposing ULES, and now he's at COP, you know, yeah. doling out money to countries in the global south for climate change mitigation. So it, it, it just seems like he's just an opportunist. He's a he's well, a political moth yes. who goes yeah, here listen, and there towards the Yes, listening the to the latest focus group as opposed to what he thinks he, you know, he should do. That's what we say we were contrasting with Margaret Thatcher. She didn't care whether it was popular or not. She did what she thought she had to do, whether you liked it or not. Um, Aaron Bassani, really interesting to get your thoughts on all of this. Co-founder of Navarra Media, thank you very much indeed. Let's 
come to a Sam Armstrong Conservative commentator, you could be further from uh, the views of Aaron Bastani, but I, I think you were new and I was nodding along to quite a lot of what he said. Be, it's kind of a plague on both your houses. I think a lot of us feel as well. I don't have the sort of the animosity towards Rishi Sunak that a lot of people have, mainly because he campaigned against lockdown privately within behind bars. Behind bars, that's what it felt like, right? behind the scenes. Um, I genuinely, I mean, Liz Truss talks a good game, but I'm sorry, she was sitting there perfectly quietly, absolutely fine for the country to be locked down or again and again and again. You know, at the end of the day, how, what do you do when, when you know, the, the, the proverbial hits the fan and she did nothing? And I'm, I'm sorry, I hold that against her. Um, but do you think the reality is most voters, they're not really paying attention. They think they're all useless and awful. They don't trust anybody. They, they resign to the fact they're going to be poorer, not be able to buy a home. We're going to basically be completely inundated, which we are being by legal and illegal migrants. We're not going to be able to get any help on the NHS. And people have just kind of just given up. But that is a dangerous place for us to be in. Yeah, a couple of old elections jump out at me. 2016 or 2020, when it was Trump versus Biden, Trump versus Clinton, when we all said, well, is that really the best that yeah. America can do? Uh, can't they just swap it for anybody else? Anybody? Are we feeling a bit like that? And then back into the old Blairite days, it really feels like, in part, there is very little between Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer on the big yeah. issues. They're not going to spend massively differently. They're going to keep migration high. They're going to keep an economy that works for London keep, and the Keep with the gender madness, you know, keep gender, the gender identity madness. madness. And that worries me. But I do think it offers an opportunity, particularly to the Conservative Party, embrace the same kind of politics that they did in 2019. Or... Gives a massive opportunity to reform UK. I mean, that's the reality. But then, of course, we have first past the post, not PR in these elections. It's not over till it's over in an election. That's what I'd say. Remember, this time before the, the election last time, 2019, the Conservative Party were even further down. They were losing to the Brexit Party yeah. uh, with Theresa May. Politics has sped up. You can change change around on a sixpence. Yeah, I mean, it really has. I mean, genuinely, when people say, this is what's going to happen the next election, I'm always like... Yeah. Why don't we wait until a week beforehand and then we'll, then we'll see. And again, I don't, I'm not entirely convinced by a May election either. I still think that if you're that far behind the polls, there's nothing that's going to change over the next few months that's going to realistically change. I think if you're Rishi Sunak, you're going to wait for, hope for, events, dear boy, events that change things, something that comes, some scandal. Let's face it, something awful like a terror attack, some, another war. I mean, who knows what could happen in the next few, next year, let alone let alone the next few months. Um, I, I don't see it happening there. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio.